You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Today is the day to get right with God. You know, in the 29th Psalm in verse 1, we are told there and exhorted, He who is often rebuked, hardening his neck, will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Listen, there's no guarantees for tomorrow. So if the Lord is reproving you of your sin, right? And uh, God's Holy Spirit is working. And that's part of the operation of God's Holy Spirit, to reprove us from our sin. You know, God working in our lives, trying to get us right with Him. Today is the day to get right with the Lord. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Mike, he shares with you the importance of quickly acting on the move of the Holy Spirit within your heart. Don't put off receiving salvation. Tomorrow is never a guarantee. Pastor Mike encourages you to receive the free gift of salvation today. Receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Receive the forgiveness for your sins. Receive eternal life with the Lord and rejoice in His presence forever. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 31 as he begins his message, The End of an Era. morning's message, the title, The End of an Era. Okay, so let me set up this morning's Bible study for you. Remember last time, after reading of David and his men, uh, their military success in hunting down the Amalekites who had ransacked their city. Remember, at this time, David and his men, those mercenaries, those guns for hire, were actually living in one of the Philistine uh, cities that had been given to them by Uh, the king of the Philistines, that is the city of Ziglag. But while David uh, and his men left that city unprotected, as they joined the Philistines, if you can imagine this, to go out against God's people, Israel, and really quite odd, if you think about it, David is actually going out against his own countrymen uh, to battle, but remember God intervened and uh, made it possible for David to not participate in that battle, And so he's back on his way with his 600 men uh, back to the city of Ziglag, only to find that while he was gone, left the city unprotected, uh, the Amalekites had ransacked the city and they carried away all of the women and children, all of their possessions and their uh, livestock. But praise God, remember last time, all of that was recovered by David. And none of his family members were injured or uh, killed. And so really... For David, it was a time of rejoicing. But we are now presented with a contrasting situation 
here in chapter 31. So let's get right to it. That kind of sets the stage for this morning's Bible study. And again, uh, if you weren't here last week, you can listen to that message online. So let's get right to it. Chapter 31 in verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Now, Mount Gilboa was actually where Israel had set up their army camp. And this is significant for a couple of reasons, but I'll get to that in just a moment. Now, notice here, the biblical writer gave only the barest description of this battle that ensued between God's people, Israel, and their enemies, the Philistines. His focus, that is the writer of this book of the Bible, is on the concluding events that took place on the slopes of Mount Goboa. And so we are actually left to piece the details together. And apparently, from what we know, and what is recorded for us here in the, in the preceding couple of verses, apparently Israel met the Philistines on the open plain of Jezreel, uh, according to, uh, and is indicated in chapter 29, in verse 1, remember, Israel's foot soldiers were no match for the Philistine chariots. And after the initial clash, Saul's ranks were broken, and the men fled from the field of battle. And notice, they're now back at Mount Goboa, which was not their field of battle. So the idea here is that Israel at this time was in full retreat, and they are back in their own camp, the Philistines chasing from uh, behind. Well, this was a full retreat, as I mentioned, back to their camp. And now in verses 2 and 3, we read, Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. They're in retreat now. And the Philistines killed Jonathan. These were uh, Saul's sons. Abinadab and Malchashua, uh, Saul's sons. And the battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hid him, that is Saul, and he was severely wounded by the archer. So I guess at this time Saul knew that he wasn't going to be able to survive this attack. He had been hit by these uh, archers. So in vain, Saul and his elite corps tried to rally the forces and make a stand, but they were outmaneuvered and outnumbered, outgunned, and many were killed. Saul and his sons and his bodyguards made a valiant attempt to hold their position, but one by one the Philistine archers found their targets, and most were killed, and Saul was badly wounded. Okay, let's pick up now in verse 4. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, now remember, he's already been struck by one of those archers, draw your sword and thrust me through. Again, he knew that he wasn't going to make it. Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men, and this is the way that Israel referred to the Philistines, the idea here is that they were without a covenant relationship with their God, remember through circumcision, as was the Israelis. This is not a uh, racial slur against the Philistines, it's just the acknowledgement that they didn't have a covenant relationship with God, and that's the reason why he refers to them as the uncircumcised men. Come and thrust me through, and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. And therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. Now, one of the saddest parts of this scene that's being played out for us here in verses 
3 and 4, I want you to think about this. At the end of Saul's life, he became so hard in sin that he did not want to repent. And uh, I would even go as far as he couldn't repent. And I think that this serves up a warning for all of us. You see, many people, and I want you to think about this, many people put off getting right with God until a later time. You know, and I've heard this so many times before, particularly in counseling. And uh, someone comes in and they're going through some issue. They've been uh, attending our services for a while, and, but they've never come around to getting right with the Lord. So in counseling, you know, they'll, they'll express that to me and I'm, I'm encouraging them, well, listen, you need to repent and you need to allow God to work the work that he wants to do within your life. And usually they'll respond, well, I'm not ready to to do that. There are things that I still want to do with my life. There are still certain goals that I want to achieve. And and I know that Christianity is right and true, and I know that one day I'm going to get around to making my relationship with God a correct one. And so they're not ready to repent before uh, God. So many people put off getting right with God until a latter uh, time, assuming they will still want to get right with God then. But listen, that is a dangerous assumption on that person's part. Because if you think about it, repentance is actually a gift that comes from uh, God. And if it is here today, it should be received. We need to act upon it because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know if our heart is going to be ready to repent. Today is the day to get right with God. You know, in the 29th Psalm in verse 1, we are told there and exhorted, he who is often rebuked, hardening his neck, will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Listen, there's no guarantees for tomorrow. So if the Lord is reproving you of your sin, right, and uh, God's Holy Spirit is working, and that's part of the operation of God's Holy Spirit, to reprove us from our sin. You know, God working in our lives, trying to get us right with him. And, uh, you know, if you feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit, make sure that you respond Uh, now, today, because again, we don't have any uh, assurances that we'll be able to do that tomorrow. Our heart may never come around uh, to getting right with uh, the Lord. And such was the case with Saul. I mean, how many opportunities did Saul have to get right with the Lord? Remember, often through his disobedience, remember Samuel, uh, the time when he was asked by God, commanded by God, to destroy the Amalekites. And uh, remember, uh, Saul uh, kept the king after they went out in, in battle. And he was looking for uh, them to pay some money to get the king back. And they took some of the livestock and, uh, for him himself. And it was through disobedience. And remember, uh, Samuel had rebuked uh, Saul because of that, because of his disobedience. And, and Samuel says, you know, God is looking for uh, obedience uh, rather than an offering. Remember, he offered that bogus excuse that he had saved the cattle and the livestock to offer up unto the Lord, but it was just an excuse. It was actually a lie. And uh, remember, because of his disobedience, the Bible tells us that God had chosen David to be the next king over Israel in Saul's uh, place. He had ample opportunities. That's just one occasion where he had an opportunity to repent of his sin, but he never did. And things only got worse and worse, and his heart became hardened and more hardened. And uh, God help us that that would never happen within each and every one of our lives as, as well. So anyway, so Saul here and his sons, his bodyguards, 
They made a valiant attempt to hold their position, but one by one, the Philistine archers found their targets. Most were killed, and Saul was badly uh, wounded. Anyway, the armor bearer here, according to our text, uh, afraid to comply uh, with Saul's request uh, to kill him, he's badly uh, injured now, uh, somehow impaled himself on his own uh, weapon. Let's pick up now in verses 5 and uh, 6. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him because he thought that he was going to face the same fate as Saul, that the Philistines would actually uh, not only kill him, but would also uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, mess around with him and, and uh, just uh, you know, impale him. And so anyway, it says there in uh, verse 6, and this is where I wanted to take you, in verse 6. Notice here, so Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men, and there were 3,000 that were a company of Saul's bodyguards, died together that same day. Okay, so what do we take away from this? Well, Saul's sin, his hardened rebellion, and eventual ruin affected far more than himself and even his immediate family, that is, his sons. It literally endangered the entire nation of Israel. So what do we take away from this? I want you to think about the far-reaching effect of sin, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. Listen, the wrong choices that we make to sin affects everyone around us, and especially our loved ones. I want you to think about that, particularly those of you who are parents with children, uh, husbands, your wives, you know, the things and the choices that we make. Your wife may be serving the Lord, or your husband may be serving the Lord, and uh, but, you know, the choices that we make to sin affect our whole family. We've seen this time and time and time again. That's just the, the effect of sin. It has a far-reaching effect. So I want you to think about that the next time that you are uh, presented with some kind of uh, opportunity to uh, sin. Anyway, the armor bearer is afraid to comply with his request, and Saul somehow impaled himself on his own weapon. Okay, so... Uh, but you know what? I, there's something else that I want to draw your attention to, and I don't want to get so far into this, but as we move into uh, 2 Samuel, and we'll do that next time in chapter 1, we're introduced to in our cast of characters this Amalekite, and uh, he uh, presents himself to uh, David. He goes back to where David was in the city of Ziglag uh, to let him know about the battle and how it had ensued. And he claimed the credit for killing uh, Saul. And, uh, and so we're really not sure of what had taken uh, place. Probably this Amalekite that we're introduced to in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel was looting the dead bodies. And we'll discover that he brought back to David in Ziglag Saul's crown and one of his bracelets. And probably one of the reasons why he had taken credit for killing Saul was to seek favor from David. So he presents Saul's crown to David and his bracelet as well. So we're really not quite sure. You know, here it sort of suggests that although the armor bearer was afraid, uh, we really don't know if the armor bearer there in verse 4 thrust Saul 
uh, through and actually uh, killed him. It is possible that the armor bearer thought Saul was dead, but really had only fainted. So we're really not sure exactly how uh, Saul died, whether it was because of the fact that he had been hit by the archers of the Philistines, or he was killed by his own armor bearer, or this fellow that we'll be introduced to in chapter, uh, uh, in chapter 1 in 2 Samuel. So we really don't know uh, how uh, Saul was actually killed. Well, anyway, the result of the Philistine victory was utter retreat, the utter retreat of God's people. Let's pick up now in verse 7. And when the men of Israel, now this is a reference to the non-combatants, those who were engaged in this battle against the Philistines, verse 7, who were on the other side of the valley, that is the valley of Jezreel, and those who were on the other side of the Jordan River, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead. They forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came, and they dwelt in them. And so they dispersed in all directions, that is the Israelis, and even crossed the Jordan River and into the territory of Gad. Delighted with this move, the Philistines took possession of the Israelites' homes and everything that they were not able to carry away with them. Now in verses 8 through 10, we are given a glimpse of what happened the day after the battle. So let's pick up now in verse 8. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, so they were looking uh, to loot the, uh, the bodies that were strewn everywhere uh, on the uh, battlefield, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. So the idea here is that they were uh, about the occupation of disgracing the corpse of these uh, dead Israelites. Then they put his armor, that is Saul's armor, in the temple of the Ashtorefs, and the Ashtorefs were the goddesses of the Philistines, and they fastened his body to the wall at Beth Shaven. So, okay, so showing their contempt, For Saul, they cut off his head, and in all probability, they placed it on top of a spear, and runners took it through the cities and villages, providing conclusive proof of Saul's death. This is pretty nasty stuff. But this is what they did back then. Remember even when David went up against the champion of the Philistines, Goliath of Gath, after he cut off his head. Uh, David took his sword. Uh, Goliath's own sword and stuck it up into his head and he held it up before the armies of Israel. They really got all excited. And then they came from all directions and they went up against the Philistines and on that day they had a decisive battle against them. So this was just a a practice in in battle uh, in that day. But it was really nasty stuff. Well anyway, his armor, that is Saul's, was stripped from his motionless body and placed in the temple of the Ashtoreth, that is the goddesses of the uh, Philistines. Now, something else I want to draw your attention to here. Saul's tragic death gave opportunity for the enemies of the Lord to disgrace his name. That is the name of uh, Jehovah. Saul's death was used to glorify pagan gods and to mock the living 
God. Okay, let's bring this down to personal terms here. Let me ask you a question. What do unbelievers say about the God whom you serve? What conclusions do they come to by the way that we live our lives? Are they coming to the wrong conclusions? That the God that we proclaim, that the God that we uh, proclaim that we serve is impotent to save, to provide, to change, to protect? Or do they even come to the conclusion that the God whom we serve doesn't even exist? Something to think about. How important it is that we preserve our testimony, particularly uh, amongst unbelievers. Are we giving them an opportunity to defame the name of our God, the God whom we uh, serve? So anyway, I just thought that I would uh, mention that. And, uh, and then finally, the naked bodies of the king and his sons were fastened to the wall of the city of Bathshan, as is indicated here in our text. So as the people went in and out of the gate of the city, they saw the blood-stained corpses of those who dared to stand against the united power of the Philistine army. Well, listen, the gloating of the Philistines was short-lived because now in the concluding verses here of chapter 31, we read, let's pick up now in verse 11. Now, when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men, and you might want to underline those words, valiant men, arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh, from whence they had come, and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted for seven days. And listen, you've got to love these guys, right? these valiant men of God, without asking for permission or consulting any committees, these certain valiant men of Jabesh Gilead crossed the Jordan River at night. They made their way to Beth Shan and quietly as possible removed the bodies of Saul and his sons. And listen, let me tell you something. This was no small uh, thing because they had traveled from Jabesh Gilead, some 14 miles throughout Philistine uh, territory that had been occupied uh, by them uh, to get hold of those bodies, to bring them back to their own uh, city. So this is no small thing. And then reaching their hometown and to avoid any further desecration of the bodies of the royal family, they burned the remains and buried their bones and fasted for seven days as a sign of respect. And so listen, gang, the sand in Saul's hourglass had finally run out. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. 1 Samuel takes you from the pastures that David shepherded to Saul's palace, where David played his harp. It walks you through the battles that were won and lost, and it touches on one of the most unique friendships in the whole Bible. To say this book is interesting is an understatement. There are so many lessons to be learned from reading 1 Samuel. Ultimately, we're reminded that people wanted a human king. 
But no ruler or leader on earth will be perfect and they'll make many mistakes. Only God is perfect and is the very best king. Thanks for listening today. You can explore more of Pastor Mike's messages by searching for In My Father's House on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday service so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Thanks for listening in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time as Pastor Mike teaches on 1 Samuel, here on In My Father's House.